Heavenly Father, may we recognize your presence today. May we hear from you the words you want us to hear from this passage in Ecclesiastes. May it impact our lives and may we apply it to the way that we live so that we can be more formed into the image of your son to live life as you've called us to live. We ask this all in your son's name who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. So this week we all, or not, I wouldn't say we all, but many of us made our way to a polling place to vote. Or maybe you did that a couple weeks ago. Maybe you did it as soon as you could. For Megan and I, it was the first time um, we had voted really in Indiana uh, like this. I think Megan maybe voted one time before, but whenever I was 18, it was too late for me to vote in the presidential election that year. And then I voted absentee at least once in college, but I never got to go to the voting place and push the button. And then when we lived in Colorado, Colorado actually does mail-in ballots. So you get your ballot in your mailbox and you fill it out. Um, then you can either drop it off or mail it in, or you can go somewhere to vote. But we had never voted, I had never voted at least, by going to a place and getting to push the buttons and then submit it. So it was a new experience for me. Um, but the thing about elections is depending on which side you're on it can be good or bad and you might feel like you're on the right side but things don't work out and if you've ever been a candidate for an election which I don't know if anyone here has I mean I was a candidate for uh, I think an election in high school uh, student council maybe and I can remember that. I didn't do any campaigning or anything. You just hope that you won. <laughs> but it can sometimes feel like chance, I think. Especially, I mean, in, in, in high school and maybe college, like if you're running for something, it comes down to chance and who's the most well-known and liked and who's popular. And I, I'm sure there's certain politicians and, and candidates who feel like even... In our system, it's up to chance and who shows up and who doesn't. But it can feel that way. And then another thing that we've experienced recently in our congregation, and there's probably examples of this that I don't even know about. It seems like always things are going and then unexpected difficulties fall upon us. And they feel random and we can't do anything about it. So as we've been looking at Ecclesiastes, these two ideas of chance and random acts and unexpected difficulties have been common themes. And throughout Ecclesiastes, the question we've been asking is, is there profit in life? Does life yield more or less than projected. And as we consider how these twists and turns affect the bottom line of our life, it's easy for us to wonder if no matter how hard we work, that our life ends up not amounting 
to what we'd hoped. We don't actually find profit because even if we work hard our whole lives and live a good life, maybe we'll just be met by an untimely death or something will affect us at the end of our life. And it'll cause us to wonder, was life actually profitable? So this is something that Colette has been struggling with. And as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9 through 11, we're going to see him again explore this idea. So if you want to open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we will continue looking at what Colette has been talking about the last couple weeks. And we'll explore with him, is there profit in life? Is there something worth working for to make your life have a profit in the end? So Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11, this is how he starts. He says, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. Nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. No matter what you do in life, you don't always get what you deserve but time and chance happen to us all. Moreover, verse 12, he says, No one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. We don't know when the end of our life will come. For some of us, it might come unexpectedly like a fish that has been caught, or a bird that has been caught. So the question that that Colette pushes us towards is, could it be the case that life is simply random, uncontrolled circumstances, strung together that end up being meaningless? Or put more simply, is life random, and meaningless? Is it simply random rotations around the sun as the earth spins every 24 hours and every 365.23 days or whatever it is? Is life simply random? This is what Coalette wonders. But as we enter in these final chapters, the, the hope is that he will give us an answer. Because we've been going and going and going, and he hasn't really offered us an answer. He just keeps coming back to this idea that maybe life is meaningless. So in verse 13 of chapter 9, he continues, he says, I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. So now he's back to wisdom. Maybe wisdom will offer a prophet. Maybe living a good, upright life, a good upright life is the answer this is what he says he says verse 14 there is once a small city with only a few people in it and a powerful king came against it surrounded it and built huge siege works against it now there lived in that city a man poor but wise and he saved the city by his wisdom so Koalat tells us a story he was impressed by this poor, wise man in a city 
that was able to help this small city overcome a great king. So the king had the city in a siege. He had besieged it. And what a siege is, if you don't know, which I wouldn't have known this until I kind of tried to figure it out in college. And it is still used today, but it was a lot more common ancient um, warfare technique where you would, an army would surround a city and they would, what they would do is basically cut that city off. No exports or imports could go in and out. No crops could be brought in. So the city would be forced to live off of reserves until they had no more food and water. And then they would be forced to result to whatever they could do to live. And the idea was basically that you starved the city to death until they finally surrendered because they had no other choice. So this man who's wise somehow overcomes the besieged army and is able to bring victory to the city. So Koalat's impressed by this man's wisdom. Maybe this brought this man profit in life. But this is what he says. Continuing to verse 15. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are no longer heeded. So after this man's heroic acts, the city forgets him. They don't take his advice any longer. So even though wisdom might be better than strength, because the wisdom of the man overcame the strong army, in the end, Coelette wonders, does it actually matter? Because this man was forgotten and despised. So what Kohelet's actually doing here is he's undercutting his own point. He's saying, you know what, I think maybe wisdom is an answer to all this meaninglessness. But he's like, but I know this story. And I know lots of these stories of wise people who the wisdom doesn't bring them profit. They're never thanked. They're just forgotten. And he says, well, maybe wisdom isn't the answer. And now in verse 17 and 18, he gives another example. He says this. Verse 17, the quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than a weapon of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So again, if you can heed the words, uh, the quiet words of one wise person over the shouts of a ruler who's a fool, you're doing well as a, a city. And wisdom can be better than any of the best weapons of war. But he says the the problem with that is that one sinner can destroy all that that wisdom is built. So this wise, poor man had helped free the city. And the idea is that his wisdom could have made that city better. But one sinner or one foolish um, government official did not choose to listen to that man anymore. And all the good he had done had been brought down just by one simple, foolish, sinful act. So what Colette's pushing us towards is considering a question. Is life fair? Is it fair that a wise man is quickly rejected by the very city that he worked so hard to save. Is that fair? 
Where's the profit and wisdom? Where's the advantage? Where's the gain when you work so hard, but then in the end, you're never thanked for it and you're just forgotten? Is life fair? Now turning to chapter 10, Colette continues to explore this. He says on verse 10, 1, As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense, and show everyone how stupid they are. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offense to rest. There is an evil I've seen under the sun. The sort of air that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in high positions, while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback, while princes go on foot like slaves. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. So now we see more negative questions. So the first observation that Colette makes is easiest for us to, con- to grab. One dead fly can ruin an entire bottle of perfume. So a small foolish act can outweigh wisdom and honor. But not only does one fly ruin a whole bottle of perfume, but Coalette has seen the rich who do not occupy high positions, but instead those positions are given to fools. And what I think he means there is that the rich are people who have wise, are wise and they've lived wisely, so they've, they've gained things in life. But they don't get the positions they deserve. Instead, those positions are given to fools. And the same goes with seeing a prince who walks by foot while a slave is on a horse. So that is simply an ancient idea of status. The prince walked, got a ride on the horse. Slaves never rode on horses. But for whatever reason, the status is switched. And also, if you're digging a hole, you might fall into it. And this idea is that you dug holes to catch animals. But sometimes you caught yourself when you're trying to catch the animal. Or you're tearing down a wall and there's a snake in the wall that bites you. You're doing something that you're trying to make your place of dwelling better. But the very act of making something better, you're actually injured by the snake. Or you're moving stones in your field and you injure yourself with your stone, with a stone. Or you're cutting wood and you accidentally cut your leg. The idea that Colette is grabbing here is that when people do good in life, there's a risk that they won't receive what they deserve based on what they're doing. While the good people don't always get what they deserve, Colette notices that a lot of times people who don't deserve something get it. Even when you work hard in your job, you might get injured. Even if you're doing what you're supposed to, 
Life might catch up to you. Sometimes we do what we're supposed to. We're doing something good, but then things still turn out bad. So has this ever happened to you? You're doing what you're supposed to do, and you get injured. So maybe you were going to help a family member move, and when you were helping them, you hurt yourself bad, and you couldn't work. So you're trying to do something good. You're helping someone out. You always say yes. And that day, you really had something else to do, but you wanted to help, so you did. And then you get injured, and you can't work. And things don't turn out the way they're supposed to. When Megan and I were moving, I was doing what I was supposed to. I was helping move this cabinet, and, the, and it has a door that kind of swings down. And it's broken. It's supposed to have a latch that catches it from going all the way down. But it doesn't work. And it swung all the way down on my finger. Now my finger is healed now, except for I have a mark that will probably be there for six months. I was doing what I was supposed to, but I still got hurt. What Colette is noticing is sometimes we do everything right and things still go wrong. So when we think about life this way, it's easy for us to ask the question and think, well, maybe life is just random and meaningless. We do all that we can and things still go wrong. Colette continues in verse 10 by this, saying this. He says in verse 10, If the axe is dull and the edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. If a snake bites before it is charmed, the charmer receives no fee. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their lips. At the beginning their words are folly, at the end they are wicked madness, and fool, fools multiply words. So actually, he moves on to this next section and it almost seems like he's making a shift in perspective. Because for nine, the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of verse 10, it was all about how life's random. But now he seems to shift to the idea that we reap what we sow. And he makes this point in several ways. First he says, a dull axe takes more strength to do the same amount of work as a sharp axe. Now this is just simple. If you want to do less work, you make sure that your tools are prepared before you start. Otherwise, you reap what you sow. Now, the second one is harder for us to understand. We hear a, a snake charmer, and what I think about is if you've seen those guys who play the flutes and the cobras come out of the backs, baskets, that's what I think about. That's not what he's talking about. In the, in the days when this was written, we have evidence that people would sell snake charms. Meaning you'd be worried about snakes at your house, so you'd go and buy a charm, and you'd put it in your house, and it was supposed to keep the snakes away. It's kind of like when we call the Terminator today when we have bugs we want to get rid of. But for the people who sell snake charms, they can't get a profit if the snake bites the person before they get there to buy it from you. Or maybe you're giving them the charm, they're paying you later, but your charm isn't good enough to actually keep the snakes away. You reap what you sow. So this raises the question for us, does, does Colette actually contradict what he's saying? 
Is he calling question his original assertion that life is random? Is it actually the case that the work that we do reaps the benefits? Does the work we put into life bring us profit? Or if we don't do good work, does it bring us losses? Now before we embrace this hope that maybe we can do things that will bring us results, this is what he says at the end of verse 14. He says, no one knows what is coming. Who can tell someone else what will happen after them? So we're back again to this idea that we can't know what happens in life And he continues in verse 15, he says, The toil of fools wearies them. They do not know the way to town. Woe to the land whose king has a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed is the land whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at the proper time. For strength and not for drunkenness. Through laziness the rafters sag. Because of idle hands the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter. Wine makes life merry. And money is the answer for everything. Do not revile the king even in your thoughts. Of course the rich in your, or curse the rich in your bed. Because a bird in the sky may carry your words. And and a bird on the wing may report what you say. Again, does life reap what we sow? A fool can't find his way home because he doesn't pay enough attention to know where he's going. A proper king knows how to act and he will bring a blessing to a nation. Laziness brings a building into disrepair and speaking poorly of the king and the power will eventually catch up to you. So is it that life is random or is it that life reaps what it sows? Can we actually find a prophet? What Colette's doing is putting forward these two competing ideas. First he says, well, maybe life's random and unpredictable, but maybe we actually reap what we sow in life, so we should sow good work. So how is it that we can take these two ideas and hold them in tension? Now, while it seems like these are at odds on paper... When we think about actual life, I think it's easy to see how these two ideas actually aren't in tension. Because doesn't life often seem random and unpredictable? We finally get the budget worked out, or you finally get the car paid off, and then it breaks down. Or for Megan and I, we'd finally got our budget worked out, And then, out of nowhere, this new puppy and kitten come into our life. Now, that was a self-chosen challenge, maybe. But sometimes, it seems like life is random in the worst kind of ways. But then, the flip side also seems to be true. Anytime we make a bad decision, it always seems to come back to haunt us, right? So anytime that I go to the Pizza Hut buffet, specifically the one on Saturday nights with the wing buffet, it seems like I decide to go up that one extra time when I shouldn't. And then I come home and we're trying to put the kids to bed and I'm so uncomfortable 
And then I don't want to do anything the rest of the night because I can't hardly move around. Right? That bad decision or that semi-okay decision always turns out to get us. And it seems like as teenagers and young adults, our bad decisions are always the ones that end up following us the rest of our lives. And maybe you only did it once. You're like, I'm going to make this decision once. And then it ends up, you pay for it for a long time. So what Colette's discovered is that life can feel random and calculated all at the same time. And what it really feels like is that it's either random when things are going well, or it's calculated when we make poor decisions. So we make a poor decision and it definitely affects us in the way it should. But then life's going well and those good decisions don't make us, don't affect us in a positive way because some random, unpredictable circumstance affects us. It's like life is random and unpredictable and because of this, life is random and meaningless. Now, Colette says, well, maybe because of this, it's worth it for us just to try our best. In verse two, uh, chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, he says, Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you might receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Because life is random and because we don't always get, and because sometimes we do reap what we sow, he says, maybe we should just invest. Ship your grain across the sea and maybe you'll actually get a benefit. Invest in seven different ventures and maybe one will bring you a profit. But he follows that with warning in verse 11, 3 through 6. He says, If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or the, how the body is formed in the mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. So even when we hedge our bets, we can't predict what is going on in life. And he continues in verse 6, he says, Sow your seed in the morning, and in the evening let your hand not be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will be, do equally well. See, because we cannot know what is happening, maybe what we just need to do is cover our bases. Because maybe then there'll be profit. This is forcing us to ask the question, is life random and meaningless? And if it is, is there anything that we can do? Should we just cover our bases because maybe we'll luck out and it'll be good in the end? Should we just accept that we don't have any control over life and do what we can to make the best of things? Colette makes his final suggestions in verses 7 through 10 of chapter 11. He says this in 7 and 8. He says, Light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. 
So maybe we're back to this eat, drink, and be merry. Because we can't do anything about anything else, maybe we should just enjoy the small things in life. But when we continue in verse 8, this time we see something different. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Even though we might be able to find some hope, Colette says, there's still the darkness that we have to remember. You are young, he says in verse 9. You who are young, be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever you see. A positive spin. But then he gives us this big but in the middle of chapter, verse 9. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body. For youth and vigor are meaningless. He says, well, maybe you should enjoy the fruits of your labor, but remember that you're going to be judged for them. Because of this, Colette sees it as meaningless. So now we've reached the end of chapter 11. There's one more chapter left. And what he has continued to do is remove possible points of hope. And now Colette has removed the final one. Maybe we can enjoy the small things. And he says, you know what? In the end, we're judged even for those actions. And maybe those two are meaningless. So as we go back to this question, is life random and meaningless? In the end, what Colette seems to be telling us is yes. Life is random and meaningless. Now his circumstances were that he was in an Israel that was oppressed without any hope. He knew the promises of God, but he wasn't seeing them to be true. So he says, how can this be true? He says, you know what, I think life is random. He says, I think it happens to us no matter what, no matter how hard we work, and things are meaningless. So how do we respond to this? We wait. Because there's still one more chapter, and next week... In this final chapter, Colette offers his final words, and then we get to hear the person who put the book together's final analysis. And then we also, as Christians on the other side of Jesus, get to look through all of this with Jesus in mind. And we get to consider how the promises of God have been continuing to come true, and we get to see God's faithfulness through it all. But in the meantime, what I want us to do is we, I want us to sit on the realization that life might be meaningless. Not that we can live a life that doesn't have meaning, but that no matter what, even if we try to live a life with meaning, that in the end it doesn't matter because everything is meaningless. And now the reason I want us to consider this for the week is because there's lots of people who live life like this every day. They feel that way. 
It'll help us to understand where they come from. And then next week, we get to hear the resolution. And we're able to take that with us to remove for them the barrier of wondering if life is meaningless. We get to hear the good news of the gospel and take it to the world. To say, you know what? Sometimes life does feel random. Sometimes it does feel meaningless. But maybe, just maybe, there's part of life that you haven't seen and understood. And let me tell you about it. So is life random and meaningless? Maybe. Maybe not. The world often thinks so. And sometimes we might feel like that's so. But when we get to hear the gospel, we'll know that it's not so. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to the final hour of this book, may we take in the reality that there's a book in the Bible that challenges everything we've ever been told about life. May we better be able to see the humanness of the people around us, that the experiences of life weigh on them, and without the good news of the gospel, they don't have ways to make sense of what's good and what's not. May we be able to relate better with them, and may you equip us to be able to speak with them the truth that you have proclaimed to us through your Son. We ask this all in his name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.